Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Alan Gilman from All Saints Lutheran Church with another message from my series on the Gospel of Mark called The Remarkable Gospel. This is the message for November the 1st, 2020. The following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. This week we are continuing in Mark chapter 14 as we are looking at these last hours before Jesus' crucifixion. And there's an important lesson here as we see how how different Jesus is from everyone else. There's this great contrast between Jesus and everyone else. And I want us not to miss the lesson. And the lesson is that we're not supposed to be like everyone else. So uh, we're starting our reading a few verses before the passage we're going to concentrate on to get some context. And so we're going to be reading Mark 14, verses 17 through 53. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And this is where we'll be focusing on uh, today. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. 
seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that you still speak to us today through it. And so we look to you. We look to you that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us afresh, and that you would be our teacher, and that you would show us what you what you're saying in these days, that we would be all that you would want us to be. We look to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the, in the last time, we looked at how Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, and he, at that time, leveraged certain elements of the Passover Seder. Seder is the word for the set order of the special meal used to commemorate the exodus from Egypt many years before, and he took elements of that meal and applied it to himself. And I tried to explain last time, and if you didn't watch or listen to that sermon, I would suggest that you do so. Uh, The whole description in Mark, quite a brief description of what we've come to call the Last Supper, which is actually his last Passover, is mentioned very briefly. It's sandwiched between two very dramatic statements and reactions on the part of Jesus to his disciples and and had to do with someone would betray and that they would all fall away and in fact Peter would deny him three times and so then they they finish up the celebration it's hard to tell from the description that it might have taken some hours to do and then they left and they went to the Mount of Olives and they went to an area of the Mount of Olives called Gethsemane I'll read verses 32 through 34 again. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And so here we are. We don't know if it's hours or minutes before the betrayer, Judas, and these others uh, were, will come to arrest Jesus. And so this is right on the cusp of everything changing. Up till now, Jesus is leading the way. He's going here. He's going there in freedom. He's often careful. He tells people you know, not to uh, go too public with what they're experiencing. And the, they're, they're all careful. But still, he's in charge. He's leading. He's teaching, he's healing, but now things are about to to change where others will come to take control of his life. And, And more than that, of course, as we see as we go along. But just before this major change, he is very, very troubled. Interestingly, here the the word for uh great greatly distressed, for distressed in verse 33, is similar to the word amaze. 
um, it's it's that idea of be, being undone by by something you're told or that you 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 see, and sometimes Jesus is amazed by things that happen, uh, the people, the crowds, the religious leaders, his followers, and and in context here, this is not this is not a big wow. It's more of an oh my, as the the burden, the heaviness of what he's about to experience is is coming down on him in a very, very oppressive way. And as best as I could explain it, he doesn't want to do it. He's been talking about it. He's been predicting it. The disciples don't understand it. Peter rebuked him about it. He had to, uh, he had to rebuke Peter when Peter rebuked him about it, saying that you're thinking... You know, when, when, when he said that he's going to have to die and so on, and Peter said, no, no, this must not happen to you. And then he even rebukes him as, as the devil himself because these were words that were not coming from God. They were coming from, from the evil one. But now he's about to actually, you know, we would say face the music. And I don't want to play it down in any way, but you know what I mean? Like this is the moment that Jesus was so aware of for so long his disciples couldn't understand it when when he would speak about it. It's about to happen, and the reality of it is is really really hitting him. And he says that his soul is very sorrowful even to death. It's killing him. It will kill him, and he's sensing this. And I get the impression that a lot of us have a really hard time thinking about Jesus in this way. We tend to think of him as some sort of Superman that has the power to he can resist temptation, he cannot be manipulated, he he calms the seas, he multiplies food, he heals people, he raises the dead to life, and so there's nothing that he can't do. We don't realize that he did all that under the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, uh as being guided by the will of his father, it's not like he possessed this uh, power to zap things at will, you know, or touch things and turn them to gold. Everything that he did was an act of faith in the way that any human is called to serve God. The only difference in his earthly life, that the difference between him and and us is that he did everything without the taint of sin. Uh, that twists us away from God, that he didn't have to deal with, but he had to learn to trust his heavenly father in everything. And so um, he got tired, he got thirsty, he got hungry, and what's going to happen to him is going to be very, very painful, and he doesn't want to do it. He wants to obey his father. But he doesn't want to suffer like this. And it's interesting that it, this, this time of prayer that he's about to have happens in this garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. And Christ, which is Messiah, means anointed one. And it, it comes out of the idea that uh, kings and priests were anointed with oil poured over them. And so Jesus is the great anointed one. And that whole idea of, of, of being covered in oil, well, now he's in the olive press and he is being crushed by the burden of facing, we could call it in this case, his destiny. This is what he had come to do. 
and he's having a really hard time. And so they'd finished celebrating the Passover. They now go to the Mount of Olives instead of heading back to Bethany where they were staying while they were in the vicinity of Jerusalem. There's crowds and crowds of people in in and around the city for the festival of Passover. And it seemed that the Mount of Olives was a favorite spot for them to to hang out. And so this is where they went. And he's in this region called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he wants to pray there. And he's with his disciples. It, it's likely more than simply, I was going to say the 12, by now it's the 11 because Judas has gone off um, because he's, he went to make arrangements with the uh, the temple leadership to arrest Jesus, which will happen in a moment. And uh, so he's with his disciples, his followers, and he takes he tells them to sit down. He takes three of them and asks them to watch with him while he prays. And it's very late. Uh, the, as I said, the Passover uh, meal probably took hours. It's late into the evening. Every day they've had a long day. They might have had a big festive meal and they are legitimately tired. But Jesus is aware of the time that they're in at that moment and it calls for something. And what he's calling his disciples to do is stick with him, stay awake and watch. Maybe it was to protect him for a time so that he could have this time of prayer before he gets arrested. Maybe he wanted the encouragement of just having his friends around while he went through this, this difficult emotional and spiritual time. Whatever his actual reason was, because we're not told, is he wants his three best buddies to stay with him, stick with him, and stay awake while he cries out to his Father in heaven. And they fail. They fail in Jesus' request of them. Verses 35 through 36. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so he he asks Peter, James, and John to, to wait over there. He goes a little bit farther, and it looks like he just collapses to the ground under the emotional weight that he was under. And he begins to pray that if it were all possible, what he has to face, he would not have to face. And this is an insight into Jesus praying. In, in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we don't have examples of him actually praying. There is John 17, uh, that's a long prayer of Jesus, but we and then we also hear of him praying, praying all night, but we don't get an insight into his prayer life, the actual content, except for here. Now, whether or not this kind of interchange was normal or it was exceptional due to these exceptional circumstances, that we don't know. But we can learn something about his prayer relationship to uh, his father in heaven. He he calls him Abba Father. Now, this is a, um, some insight for us as readers that this is not a direct quote. He didn't, so in the, um, in Greek, it says Abba Pater, which is the Aramaic, which is related to the Hebrew for father. The word for father in Hebrew is, is Av. So Abba is Aramaic, a common Jewish language of the day in the land of Israel. And then Mark writes pater, which is the Greek, but Jesus wouldn't be praying in Greek. 
he would have been praying in Aramaic and with he, some Hebrew, and, and people aren't too sure about the interplay of Aramaic and Hebrew at that time, but that's not that's besides the point. Um, but my point is that we're getting Mark's telling or Mark's retelling that he might have gotten from Peter of what Jesus said. And by using both the Aramaic and the Greek, we get an idea who this version of the story is for. And it's for both Jewish people and non-Jewish people. So, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. So he starts off with a statement of intimacy of his relationship with God and states unequivocally that his Father in heaven can do anything. And so because of that, would you please do something so that I don't have to go through with this horrific suffering and death? Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And so he's holding together this tension of God can do anything, but then there's what God wants, and then there's us. And He's being an example to us of how to hold on to what God wants, that's this hand, with with what we want and what we would prefer, and then wrestling with the two. That This shows us that the Father welcomes our requests. There's things going on we think should be changed, it should be different. There's things that we think we need to do that maybe we're too afraid to do, and we bring that before him, and yet all the while committed that we would do what God wants. And so he was legitimately wrestling with his personal desires and the will of the Father. And in the end, he comes out of it after praying this three times in great agony. He comes out of it ready to do the Father's will. Very different from what his disciples were doing. Go on to, let's go on to the next verse, verse 37. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, and remember, so Peter was a nickname, a special name given to Simon by Jesus. It means rock or stone. Um, but his given name was Simon, and it seemed that they used both those. And some people think that he's calling him Simon here as, as in a kind of a negative way, but that may not be the case. It might be a, an endearing uh, way of referring to him. So, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? And that doesn't necessarily mean 60 minutes, but can you not watch for a time? It sounds like he's picking on Simon, but Simon seems to have this special leadership role among the apostles, among the twelve, and among these three, with him, uh, James, and John. And uh, he has this kind of representative role that he plays. And so he's not just talking to him. For all we know, he 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 goes to talk to them, and Peter opens one eye, kind of groggy, and the other two are completely fast asleep. Uh, that's not really the point. The point is that they were they were they were sleeping on the job. Jesus said, "I need you to do this for me, and likely you need this to do this for you. This is not a time to be sleeping." 
Now, remember, as I mentioned, they were exhausted. There was much reason for them to be asleep. And you know what it's like. And you're waiting there. It's in the dark. Maybe there's people around. They have torches, but it's very dark. You've had a big meal, a lot of emotional things to process, and you begin to be overcome with sleep. A few weeks ago, we talked about stay awake and how, you know, keep watch, keep watch. And he tells them to keep watch with him, and they just, they can't keep their eyes open. We've all been there. Verses 38 through 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners." So there they were sleeping and he comes again with that message, watch and pray. And the reason is so that you may not enter into temptation. And it may not have been the temptation of falling asleep. It was they too needed to be prepared for what was coming. Now he did predict that they would fall away. He predicted that Peter would deny him. But those are not fatalistic statements. These are also warnings of, of what to avoid, and it seems the key to avoid doing what was wrong would be to watch and pray with Jesus, which, of course, they failed. And he makes a statement, this, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, and we know what that's like. And it's so easy to say, yes, Lord, yes, of course, we'll do this. Peter did that. You know, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you, and all the others said the same thing, and here they are just being overcome by slumber and so again he goes we mentioned this already and and he comes back they're still sleeping until he comes back and it's it's all it's done he's done praying no time to sleep because now everything is about to change and this thing of um the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners we tend to use sinners uh, uh, to refer to everybody um, as i was first told when i the day I came to know the lord Uh, over 40 years ago, uh, that breaking a commandment is a sin and someone who sins is a sinner. And so therefore, everybody's a sinner, sinners in need of God. And Jesus came to die for our sins and rise from the dead that we sinners can be forgiven and be put in, in right relationship with God. And all that is true. But that's not what it means here. Another way the word sinner is used in the Gospels is the way certain uh, of the more religious people look down upon the less religious people, the commoners, like religious commoners, who are the people like fishermen, as as uh, some of Jesus' disciples were. These were the sinners because they didn't do all the purification rites, and maybe they fudged a little bit on on some of the other uh, rules and regulations, and so they were they were looked down upon in that way. But that's not what he's saying here either. He seems to be referring to the people that represent evil. The people that represent everything that was wrong with the world. What was about to happen is that all the the, the cursedness of life that happened as a result of Adam and Eve's sins all those thousands of years before we're going to come and clash with the Son of God. The sinners were coming. It's like as if sin, the ugly beast of sin, 
was going to come in its full enragement, is enragement a word, and seek to overcome the goodness of God uh, in that moment. And Jesus was now ready. He was hoping that and praying, I don't know if he's praying for them at that time, but he was hoping that his disciples would be ready too. Because we'll see what happened. But he was ready. It, you know, it's no more time. You can't even don't even have the option of sleep anymore because evil is coming. And he says, verse 42, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. It's amazing. He's still so in control. Like all this horrific stuff is about to happen to him. And he is in control. So his submission to the Father's will, and you look back at what he was doing. He didn't want to suffer like this. He he hoped and literally prayed that God would find another way to deal with with the sin problem, with the evil problem, the curse, the cursedness problem of of the creation. And any other way you could do this. He he struggled with that and struggled with that. But when it was done, he was resigned to the Father's will, and now he was ready. That's an active submission. He didn't just give in to to God's will because he didn't really have a choice. He he struggled with it and then resolved. I'm going to fulfill this mission fully. And so let's be going. My betrayer is at hand. So it looks like he's a victim, but he's no victim. Jesus has no victim mentality whatsoever. Remember, he's our example. He's not simply our great hero that, that does these marvelous things and we all sit back and go, yay, Jesus, no Yes, we go, yay, Jesus, praise you, Lord, for what you've done. There's no one like you. Yes, and we worship him and we praise uh, we praise the Father for his work through his Son. We, yes, but part of that and the, and, and the reasonable worship that we are to respond with, according to Paul in Romans 12, is that we give ourselves to God and we emulate God who Jesus is and what he's done. We don't just watch him from afar and, and cheer him. Um, we follow, we literally follow him in who, in, in, in who he is and what he does. Verse 43, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So Jesus is ready. The disciples are not for what's about to happen. And, um, Started. I think I started wondering last week, you know, why did Judas need to betray him in order for him to be arrested? Um, it, it seems that the the religious authorities needed reason to uh, to arrest him. They just couldn't react to what he was saying and nab him sort of thing. They had to have some sort of more official way and an accusation. And then they also needed somebody who would know where he would be. Uh, you know, we have this impression that everywhere Jesus went, he glowed. He was taller than everybody else. He wore a different kind of robe and everybody would know who he was all the time when actually he looked like everybody else. He just looked like someone else and maybe he would be in the center of a crowd, but there were so many crowds, like who really was Jesus? If you didn't know who he was, you may not know who he was. And so they needed someone. Also, of course, it was night and there was huge crowds because it was Passover. So they needed somebody who could actually take them right to him. And that's what Judas did. 
Verse 44, now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and take him away under guard. And the fact that he went to kiss him, and I'll read the next verse, and when he came, he went up to him and at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. This would be normal greeting. Um, so if people didn't know why Judas was away for a while and he comes back and it's the middle of Passover and and it could look like he doesn't really know the agony that Jesus is in, he comes to greet him. And all that would kind of be normal. But he had told the uh, the people who had come to arrest Jesus that this would be the signal. And so he wouldn't go up to Peter. He wouldn't go up to John, which maybe he would normally do under other circumstances. And if he'd been away and then he would greet the various ones. Um, so the first one he'd go to, this would be the one that they needed to arrest. Verses 46 through 49. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. So here everything goes goes crazy at this point. Everything seems to be falling apart. And he challenges them. like, like the, the whole thing is actually ludicrous. Here was somebody who had done so much good he didn't he didn't even uh, allow the crowds to erupt in some negative way there was his entry into jerusalem with shouts of hosiana hosanna to the son of david um but this was a happy celebratory crowd um he didn't allow if, if he he could have let things get out of hand and 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 maybe cast a blind eye like a lot of people do this against the more like the rabble rouser kind of people but he did not allow that that to happen. And then he was there just a little while ago in the temple freely teaching. And and now they're after him as if he's some sort of, 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 of robber, like a common criminal. And it's the whole situation is, is, is ludicrous. And of course, the religious authorities know that. And yet, in order for there to be any kind of of a basis of doing any of this they have to make him they have to demonize him and this is what we often do when we know that there's somebody we want to get out of the way we know we don't have anything on them we demonize them first and we get people thinking about them in a very negative negative way that we have to be so careful what we listen to especially today with with all the voices speaking about all sorts of different things and people and we all have our agendas and so then things get said out of our agendas not out of the truth we need to be attentive to the truth and so this all commotion happens and of course jesus had been predicting this for a long time he taught his disciples on an ongoing basis that he would be arrested and he would suffer and he, he would be die, he would die and then he would rise when none of that they understood but they they just couldn't get it and now it's happening and what do they do verse 50 and they all left him and fled now you might say well what could they have done well of course some well one of them did try to attack somebody with his sword and because it's not mentioned too much here, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna focus on that now. Uh, but there was that one, only one, and um, everybody else seemed to be kind of jaws dropped. They don't know what to do, and they take off. Now, of course, we never know what would have happened, but maybe there just would have simply been more. If you if you're gonna take him, you take me too. That kind of thing. 
They just didn't know what to do and they all left. And then there's this thing that seems like a little aside. It almost seems like a little silly insertion into the story. But it could actually be one of the most powerful statements in this whole section. Verses 51 and 52. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Now, we need to repaint. And just and I, I was hearing the way I was reading that and make it sound like this little thing that happened. I said that, a little aside. And it's, it's said that way. It, it, it's said that way. But there was all this commotion. It's dark. It's crazy. There's probably loud voices and, and all this aggression and, and fear and, and, and disciples running away. And in the midst of this, this happens. And this reference to a young man followed him is an unnamed person. There's scholars have all these theories about who it might be. They might even think it's Mark who wrote the gospel, but there's really no way of knowing. So it's clearly, it's intended that he's anonymous, just a guy that was following Jesus. Uh, maybe he attended the, the Passover celebration a, a short time before. He might have been uh, camping out on the Mount of Olives. He might have been with the group that, was was uh, where Jesus told him to sit down. Maybe not, but he was somebody who had an affinity towards Jesus for sure. And uh, what he was wearing this this in this translation says linen cloth is um is some sort of thin fabric that uh ha- that could be in some contexts could be used as a burial shroud. But the word's also used for uh, a, a sleeping type garment. It would be a warm climate. And people would use this thin um, sheet-like thing to keep themselves uh, warm while they were sleeping. It, you know, when I say warm climate, uh, it's cooler at night. So they, they needed something. And there he might have been in his tent and getting ready for sleeping. He hears the commotion. He goes out. He comes out and looks. And uh, um, in the midst of that all, of all the... the, uh, the um, Servants of the of the high priest who came to uh, arrest Jesus see this guy. They can tell that he's with Jesus, not the others, and they go to seize him. And he freaks out, and he runs away naked. What a thing to put into the story. Except I wonder if that's us, those of us that aren't prepared, and all we have around our feeble selves is a thin little sheet. Instead of being prepared for the battle like Jesus was, by late at night seeking his father, getting clarification, pleading with him, and getting prepared for what he was about to face, he was just kind of like, what's happening? And then all of a sudden, he's in this great danger and runs away naked. I wonder... If that's going to be what happens to us in a metaphorical sense, are we ready? Are we ready to face the challenges that the Lord is going to thrust us into? Are are we aware of what's going on? Are we seeking the Father for clarification for what he wants us to do? And are we prepared to stand? Are we going to be reactive? Are we going to be afraid? Or are we going to be ready like Jesus is? to face what he needs to face what and face what we need to face when that trouble comes so that we could stand and that we can be true to God no matter what the challenge is. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we thank you that in the name of your Son, you have put all of heaven's resources at our disposal. Help us, Lord, to take advantage of your grace, of your power, of your goodness, of your wisdom, that we would be prepared. Help us at the same time to be honest about where we're at. Help us to be honest about our fears, our doubts, our struggles. Help us to be willing to say, Father, I think you want us, want me to do this, but I don't want to. And then help us allow you to clarify your will to us, just like your son did. Father, show us where we give up too easy, where we're quick to give up and fall asleep. We should be awake and seeking you. Help us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any questions or comments, like I say each week, please send me an email at pastor at allsaintslutheran.ca. And and so until next time, this is Pastor Allen for All Saints Lutheran Church. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.